Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. My friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. And those of you who believe in abortion rights, as the uh, old saying goes, all hell has officially broken loose. Politico published a draft report, a 96 or 98 page draft, uh, not report, a, a decision written by Justice Sam Alito, one of the one of the hardcore right wingers on the court. I'm trying to be very careful in my language here. Uh, Basically saying that, you know, it's not up to the court to make law. With Roe v. Wade, the court did make law. We are officially undoing Roe v. Wade. The word abortion does not exist in the Constitution and therefore it's up to the states. That, that's the essence of the decision. Now, one of the main reasons why this has so many people flipped out, well, actually there's multiple reasons. Reason number one, of course, is that carrying a child to term is 14 times more deadly than getting an abortion. And that's for a healthy woman of normal childbearing age. If that woman is a girl who's 11 years old or 12 years old, or a woman in her 50s who's still fertile but wasn't planning on getting pregnant, who got raped or had a failure of birth control, it's not 14 times more deadly to carry a child to term. It becomes massively more deadly. So number one, of course, there's this whole issue of the simple right, the health care right to abortion for women in the United States. That is about to be taken away. Uh, And we've got uh, 21 states, I believe it is, uh, probably soon to be 26 states, that already have in place trigger laws or laws equivalent to trigger laws that will immediately criminalize abortion the day that the Supreme Court decision is handed down. Now, all that said, the Supreme Court itself just came out, John Roberts just came out and said, this is a terrible breach of trust that they released this thing. But yeah, it's true. He also noted that this is not the final decision. It can still be tweaked. Now, the question is, will the, this outpouring of public opinion that's happening right now, which, by the way, has a precedent back in the 1930s, and I'll get to that in just a moment. The question is, will this outpouring of public opinion cause the six conservatives on the court to go back and say, well, you know, maybe John Roberts was right. We should just, you know, go along with Mississippi. You know, what Roe v. Wade did was it it established fetal viability as as the threshold, and that back in the day was around 24 weeks. And then in 1992, you had Casey versus Planned Parenthood, and what that decision did was it established three trimesters with different rules for each trimester. So, Let's just kind of wipe those things out and kind of go back to the original Roe decision. This is John Roberts' logic. Go back to the original Roe decision, and instead of saying fetal viability, whatever that may be, which is like right now 22 weeks or 20 weeks, let's change that to 14 weeks like Mississippi says, and we'll just go along with Mississippi. Now, frankly, I doubt that Amy Coney Barrett, who called herself a handmaid, in the Catholic cult that she was part of before she became a member of the Supreme Court. 
is going to go along with that. And by the way, let me just be very clear. Uh, somebody <laughs> last week sent me an email going, how come you're always slurring Catholics? You must hate Catholics. This is terrible. This is bigotry. Uh, no, I don't always slur Catholics. I love Catholics. I met Pope John Paul II. I was very honored. I spent hours, several hours you know, sitting within 30 feet of him, had a private audience, spoke with him, shook his hand, as did my wife. Um, I did not grow up Catholic, but I have great respect for the Catholic Church and for my Catholic friends. But the Catholic Church has put hundreds of millions, worldwide billions of their own dollars behind efforts to criminalize abortion in every country in the world, including the United States. So the only context, you will not hear me using the word Catholic in the context of pretty much anything else outside of abortion and birth control, because that is, they are arguably the world's largest lobbying group for criminalizing uh, hormonal birth control and criminalizing abortion. So let's just be very clear about that. And every single member of the court, you've got two Jews, two people who are Jewish on the court, Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer. Neil Gorsuch was raised Catholic. He married a woman who was Episcopalian, and when he was asked what his religion was, he said, he refused to say, he said, we go to the Episcopal Church. So he goes to his wife's church. But the Episcopal Church calls itself Catholic. They just don't recognize the, the uh, authority of the papacy. So basically, we've got seven Catholics on the court, and all the rest, everybody else on the court is a, a church-going Catholic. So you've got seven Catholics on the court and two Jews, and, and here we are. So all that said, the bottom line here is that, and the biggest concern, is not just that this is going to criminalize abortion, but that the logic that they are using, which is essentially that the court should not be making law, a logic with which I agree. Back in, in when I wrote The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America, I pointed out that in 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, Congress in 1974 should have put it into law. That's their job. They never did. They just sat around and said, oh, that's cool, Supreme Court's got this. When Oberfeld, and I know I'm mispronouncing it, I can never figure out how to correctly pronounce that case, um, the case that gave us gay marriage, when that was passed, Congress should have passed a law and, pu and put it into law. They haven't. I mean, there, there are, when, when Lawrence v. Texas was passed and gay sex, basically defined in that ruling as sodomy, was legalized, it should have been put into law. It wasn't. When Griswold v. Connecticut was passed in 1965, this was, in 1965, it was illegal. It was a, it was a crime in Connecticut for a married couple to have a condom in their bedroom. Let that sink in. Birth control pills had only been legal for four years. It was illegal to have any kind of birth device, birth control device in your home in Connecticut in 1965. The Supreme Court struck it down in that case, in Griswold v. Connecticut. And again, the Congress never made it into law. They just sat back and said, oh, the Supreme Court's got this. So now you've got a conservative majority Supreme Court, and they're saying, hey, you know, we agree with Hartman. The Supreme Court should not be making law. Congress should be making law. And Congress never made these laws, so we're going to just reverse this, this stuff. And I'm telling you, abortion is here, or within, we're within two months of the end of abortion rights. What's next is going to be abortifacient drugs. In other words, abortion by taking a pill in the first couple months of pregnancy and morning after pills, those are clearly and loudly in the crosshairs of the anti-abortion crowd. What will be next after that is hormonal birth controls, which again, the Catholic Church is lobbying against. And now they have been joined by the white evangelical movement. This, the evangelicals up until 1980 were supportive of abortion rights and birth control. With the Reagan, and so was Ronald Reagan. He signed the most liberal uh, abortion law in the, in the history of the United States in California as governor. 
And George Herbert Walker Bush, his wife was like on the board of or somehow affiliated with Planned Parenthood. They were all pro-abortion pro rights, right to choose, and pro-birth control. But Reagan cut a deal with Jerry Falwell and Ralph Reed and these right-wing right, right religious guys that they would pitch Reagan from the pulpit in their churches if in exchange he would come out and be anti-abortion. And that's been the Republican Party's position ever since 1980. 42 years. And now they've got what they want. So what do we do about this? In my mind, there are two solutions. There are two ways well, arguably three ways that we can deal with this crisis. And it very much is a crisis. And I will outline them on the other side of this break. So stick around. There are three things we can do. Obviously, get out everyone to vote and prevent Republicans from seizing control of the House, the Senate, and, and in two years, the White House, because you know what they're gonna do. They're all telling you. They're, they're singing it from the house to, from the rooftops. Number one, we'll get to the other two in just a moment. This is the Tom Hartman program. Here's a hint. They have to do with packing the court and passing laws. Stick around. So what do we do about this situation? There are a couple of very specific action steps. The first and most obvious is keep Republicans away from the levers of power. <laughs> Make sure you're registered to vote. Turn out to vote this fall like, the, like there was never any other election as important in the history of America because it may well be true. Step number one. Step number two, pass a law legalizing abortion. Take the Roe v. Wade decision and Casey versus Planned Parenthood you know, basically the parameters that are found in those laws with the three trimesters and the whole kit and caboodle, which has served this country very well for almost 50 years, 49 years now. Take those two Supreme Court decisions, turn them into a law and put it before Congress. And yes, it will probably require overriding the filibuster to pass it. But Kirsten Cinema is a co-sponsor of abortion rights legislation. And I doubt Joe Manchin wants to get on the wrong side of this one, although it's hard to say. And I know that there are, Repo there are Democratic senators in Congress who are wishy-washy or even opposed to abortion rights. Are they willing to stand up on this? I doubt it. In other words, stand up against, against Congress. Chuck Schumer says he is going to put such legislation before the Senate. You can bet your bottom dollar Nancy Pelosi is doing the same thing in the House. The problem, and that's a good strategy, and it needs to be done. It should have been done, as I said in the earlier part of this rant, it should have been done back in 1974 after Roe v. Wade was passed. But that law will only stand as long as you have a uh, any one of the three institutions that make laws controlled by Democrats. If Republicans get control of the House and the Senate, both branches of Congress, the Article II branches, excuse me, Article I branches, and they get control of the Article II branch, the, the White House, all bets are off. They'll, they'll just reverse it. They, you know, in 2024, let's say in 2024, Republicans take the House, the Senate, and the White House. In 2025, they just pass a law saying, hey, we're just reversing all this stuff. And by the way, while we're at it, let's not just put abortion rights into law. Let's put gay marriage into law federally. And let's put gay sex into law legally. In other words, you, you can no longer prosecute LGBTQ people for having sex that's not straight heterosexual. I mean, these things have not been put into law. But again, the Republicans will be able to reverse them. Which brings me to option number three, which I wrote about at some length today in my rant over at HartmanReport.com, which is titled, Federal Abortion Ban Court Packing Should Be Back on the Table. And in that article, I, I basically say everything that I have said to you already. Plus, I point out that back in the 1930s, the Supreme Court was striking down uh, Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal legislation left and right. And there was this group of members of the Supreme Court 
who were known as the Four Horsemen, right? Pierce, Butler, James, Clark McReynolds, George Sutherland, and Willis Vandeveer. And then they had a, a sidekick. His name was Owen Roberts, who were just striking down all kinds of stuff. They took down the Agricultural Adjustment Act, which hurt farmers all across the country, stabilized farm prices. They took down the National Industrial Recovery Act, which gutted, basically, this is 1935. Keep in mind, Roosevelt came into office in 33 and started the process of ending the Great Depression. The Supreme Court undid it. And so Roosevelt came out and said, okay, we're going to pack the court. We're going to replace everybody over 70 with a new justice and let the old guys uh, be all collectively have one vote. It created such an explosion that Justice Owens, the fifth guy among the four horsemen, changed his vote and started voting with Roosevelt. Now, if the court reverses themselves before this decision comes out, then we're going to have almost a perfect historical parallel. I'm not counting on that. So the option, I think, is to actually follow through with what Roosevelt didn't have to follow through on, but threatened, which is expand the size of the court, add four more justices, and do it now. This can be done, by the way, with a simple majority in the House and the Senate and the president's signature. All they have to do is blow up the filibuster. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. On the line with us is Heather Shoemaker, the Director of State Abortion Access for the National Women's Law Center, nwlc.org. Uh, Heather's Twitter handle is Heather Dotty, D-O-T-T-I-E, and the organization is at NWLC. Heather, welcome to the program. We've kind of thoroughly erred on this program, you know, what's going on in the previous hour, you know, all the details of all this and where it could go and how this is probably a stage-setting move for eliminating gay rights, eliminating sodomy rights, eliminating um, interracial marriage rights, eliminating birth control rights. All of these things hang on the exact same hook that Alito is using to end abortion rights. But uh, all that said, this is going to, uh, and explicitly says in this decision, toss this to the states. What are, and you're, you're, you're the person in charge of state abortion access. What's going on in the states? <laughs> Uh, well, that's, that's, that's quite a setup. Feel free to comment on any of it. You know, go for it. It's all yours. But. Well, shout out to the folks who are um, on the ground in the states doing the, the hard work. I get to sit in D.C. and um, have the state abortion access in my title. But shout out to those folks who do the hard work every day. Um, they're the reason that, you know, people, despite this leaked opinion, can, can get their abortions today, can get their abortions tomorrow, and will be um, fighting day in and day out to ensure that's the case. Um, but you're right. You know, it, it's 
if uh, if this leaked opinion um, does ring true, you know we will see this all back to the states again, and we and we know we have some um, taste of that over the last decade or decades um, by the way that state legislatures have been chipping away at um, folks' access. But we will really see a new moment um, once this decision, um, if it becomes reality. Well, where to begin with this? One of the things that could blow up any effort on the part of states, Connecticut, for example, you know, it passed their House two weeks ago, it passed their Senate last Friday. Um, I don't know if Governor Lamont has signed it yet or not, but it's uh, Connecticut has legislation that makes it the first essentially, uh, you know, fugitive woman state. Um, and uh, a place where, uh, kind of the opposite of the Fugitive Slave Act, a place where women cannot be pursued um, and judgments cannot, you know, they, uh, Texas can't go after $10,000 from, uh, from a Texas woman who flees to Connecticut. Um, that's great. And other states, other blue states will probably be emulating that. But you've got numerous Republicans in the House and Senate who are saying, okay, now that we've got this, let's pass a nationwide ban on abortion and criminalize abortion all across the United States, which, of course, blows up Connecticut, blows up the handful of states that have the right to abortion already enshrined in their constitutions. Um, What do we do about this? Where is this at? Oh, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So, uh, you know, shout out to, to the Connecticut's and the other the other states that are doing what they can to ensure that folks have access. Um, the provisions that are, are moving in Connecticut, which I, I think you're right, I don't think the governor has yet signed that, that bill package, but um, that would create some safe haven for the providers specifically to, to avoid um, being pulled back to the, the state. Um, for that feels that they have some sort of tie to prosecuting a, a provider. Um, you know, in the SB8 Texas style law, it, it specifically carves out the person who had the abortion from, um, from civil liability. But, you know, we know that the folks who, um, who have abortions and become pregnant have been prosecuted for their pregnancy outcomes regardless. And we're going to see more of that um, regardless of what, um, the, the good efforts that states take. Um, but to your point about a national ban, you know, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not quite sure how far they are in that process. I think it's, you know, it's a piece of this long-term plan to end abortion access. But, uh, you know, even without that, more than half the states are poised to essentially ban abortion if they are allowed to. Um, at the state level, and, and certainly that's where the action has been for at least the last decade um, in terms of whether your state makes abortion accessible or not. This is the 26 Republican-controlled states, essentially, right? Or is my number <laughs> yes. one? Yeah. And, and, and so uh, I, I, I know a number of them. I thought it was like 13 that had trigger laws already in place, but I saw 20 in the, in the press the other day. Um, but I, I, isn't it safe to assume that between now and June or July, when this decision actually gets handed down, and it may be tweaked, but it's unlikely it's going to be substantially changed, um, isn't it safe to assume that by that time, pretty much every Republican-controlled state in the union will have criminalized abortion? And the excuse that they'll be using will be, well, you know, women can still get abortions. They can always, you know, hop on a plane and go to California. I mean, if if not before we get a decision in this case, um, you know, I think we could anticipate um, lawmakers calling for special sessions over the summer. You know, we've, we've seen states do that in the past sure. um, and, and declare this to be some sort of emergency, which it is an emergency, just in the, the opposite direction for access to basic health care. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, I'm I'm not totally sure if if we'll see folks saying that, you know, you can hop on a plane and go to another state, because I I think that goes beyond what their purpose is, too, right? Like, we've seen states like uh, Missouri trying to to, um, put in place laws that would prevent folks from leaving the state to get care, right? Right. Um, You know, already in Texas, we see that young people in particular have a really hard time leaving the state. People who are undocumented have a really hard time leaving the state, even though, theoretically, that is that is possible for some folks. Yeah, girls under 18 who may not have a driver's license, um, unless a parent is going to accompany them or somebody's going to accompany them, it's going to be a real challenge. 
Right. It's, uh, this is nuts. So we've kind of covered here what's going on in the red states. What's happening mm -hmm. in the blue states with regard to this? Yeah, I think a lot of blue states are doing the best that they can to pass the types of laws that will um, ensure that they can take as many folks as they can that need access to abortion. And so that can be everything from, you know, getting rid of restrictions that are on the books. Um, thinking about Maryland as an example, up until very recently, they had a law that required that abortions be only provided by physicians, which is medically unnecessary. And they have expanded that to include um, advanced practice clinicians to be able to provide abortions now, which can greatly expand the, the scope of um, who can provide abortions and, and just making it, setting the stage for, for the folks that we assume will go to Maryland for their procedures. And then states like California, you know, they came out with a whole host of ideas of how they could improve access, um, including um, a fund for folks seeking care, um, coming from out of state to seek care in their state, um, a website that really helps people navigate the process, things like that. Um, so I'd say repealing the restrictions that are on the books and then also doing things to, to welcome folks who are going to inevitably be coming to their state. Yeah, it's, um, it's an extraordinary moment in history. Heather, what advice do you have for, uh, you know, outside of uh, going to uh, nwlc.org, the National Women's Law Center, and, and, and signing up and helping <laughs> out, um, which I strongly recommend. Uh, outside of that, what, what action steps should people of goodwill or people who are concerned about the, the rights of women, and, and frankly, this larger frame, that this is probably just the beginning of a larger attack on a whole spectrum of rights for uh, basically uh, non-racial minorities. Um, uh, yeah. what, can, what can people do? It seems to me like voting so feels, at the top of that yeah. list, right? I mean, it feels pretty hopeless right now, but I, I think there are actually a lot of things that folks can do. Um, yeah, voting would be one of them. Um, you know, we're, we're in this place because um, extremists are, are on the court and are in all of our courts and in the, in the legislatures, right? So um, calling them to let them know what you think of what they're doing. Um, call your, your local lawmaker, call your state representative, call them and, and tell them what you want them to be focused on. Um, show up to the actions that are, or that are starting to happen already. You know, folks are rallied in front of the Supreme Court right now. There is a big rally starting at 5 p.m. There are similar rallies um, across the nation at federal courthouses and local courthouses. Um, show up and be there and, and don't allow this moment to happen happen quietly. Um, it, it might feel hopeless, but I, I think that we need to be a, a strong opposing voice to this time. Yeah. So get, basically get out there, get active, get political. This is a political problem that's going to be solved through politics. Yes, but I think also destigmatize abortion. Um, it, it's hard to take, take advantage of something that's not um, shameful to folks. There you go. So yeah, tell your stories or, or just acknowledge the reality of this horrible, uh, horrible moment and, and, the, and the difficult choices that are associated with abortion and that those choices should be a woman's choice, not anybody else's. Heather, thank you so much. Thank you. Great talking with you. What do we do about this? How do we best strategize this? How do we best message it? Well, let's see here. Free Speech TV. There we go. Juanita in Prosser, Washington. Hey, Juanita, what's on your mind today? <laughs> Do people realize that in Israel, abortion is perfectly legal? In Canada, not only is abortion completely legal at all stages of pregnancy, but it's paid for by the government. Right. It's so covered by I'm Medicare. Yeah, but we, we give a lot of uh, uh, money to Israel and all this kind of stuff. And all. But it's legal. Yeah. Well, let's not let's not use this as an opportunity to trash Israel or Canada. No, no, or any no, other no, country. no, no, no. I'm not. No, no. I'm not trying to do that. But if people want to follow the religion, wasn't there some Jewish uh, uh, justices on the court? There are two, and they, uh, which is Breyer and Kagan, and they are both opposed to this decision. Oh, okay. Also, these very same people that are running around talking about. You know, they're against abortions. Weren't these the same people who were screaming about the vaccine being, they were against the vaccine and wearing masks? I don't know. Because, 
I mean, they were the, the government was telling them they had to wear masks. Yeah, there's a, there. If you drew the Venn diagram of the anti-mask people and the anti-abortion people, there's a massive amount of overlap because they're by and large both in the right wingosphere. Although I know a couple right. of lefties who have who have become anti-vax, anti-mask fo uh, folks, which is just I'm still trying to understand. But, uh, well, that's what I'm trying to say. They were complaining the government's telling them what they can and cannot do to their bodies, but yet they want to de do that to women. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally get it. Juanita, thank you for the call. Charles in Santa Monica, listening on KPFK. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind? You know, uh, Justice John Paul Stevens, in a 1992 opinion, referred to the fact that uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, and St. Jerome all held, along with Aristotle, that personhood did not develop until late in pregnancy, and that was church doctrine for 600 years. Yeah. There was, I believe, up until the 19th century, and I could be wrong on this, but my, this is my recollection. It's been a while since we did this as a, you know, a major topic on the show where I did the research, but I believe that up until the 19th century, it was called quickening, which is basically when you can feel the baby kicking, and that's yeah. the point at which abortion was uh, frowned upon or outlawed by the Catholic Church, and prior to that, um, you know, it was it was acceptable. Yeah, it was some some pope in about 1858, and basically it was political, just the way it is now. Yeah, I'd have to go back and find it, and perhaps somebody will call and say, "Oh, I know when the when the Catholic Church sanctioned." You know, a lot happened in the 19th century in the 1800s. That was also toward the end of the 1800s in the 1880s, 1890s. That was when uh, what was his name, Mulrooney? Uh, name something like that, uh, kind of an odd, kind of semi-Irish-sounding name, came up with the whole idea of the rapture. The rapture was never part of Christianity until this, <laughs> this guy, you know, invented this whole thing about the end times are coming and here's, you know, and, and the rapture and we're all going to pop up out of, out of the earth and, and people are going to vanish, you know, from, you know, the restaurant suddenly. And, and that has been embraced, not by the Catholic Church, but by the Protestants, by the crazed Protestants. And, you know, here we are. Here we are. Charles, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And thanks for pointing that out. Good one. We'll be right back, picking up your phone calls on the issues of the day. And, and today, there's really just one. I mean, I suppose we could talk about other things, but this is, this is a big deal. We'll be right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. So back in the summer of 2016, Mike Pence was the governor of Indiana. This was, uh, you know, I mean, he was running for vice president. And, uh, but, you know, he was the governor of Indiana. And... Of all the strange things to happen, <laughs> he, he signed a law, this was called in, 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 in Indiana, it was called House Enrolled Act 1337, an act to amend the Indiana Code Concerning Health that required that all abortions and miscarriages have a funeral. Not making this up, it got struck down by the courts. But it required that all abortions and miscarriages, and for a while, the uh, hospitals anyway, and abortion clinics were, were having to comply with it. And it required them to have a funeral. It made, it made abortions very, very expensive because, you know, you've, you've got a, 
a little bit of blood and tissue here, and now we've got to take it to a funeral director and organize a funeral or a cremation at the very least. It required cremation or, or a funeral. And this then caused women across Indiana, the, the, the question was, of course, given particularly that between 20 and 50% of all, I've seen numbers as high as 50%, I think the generally accepted numbers around 20% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage, that, that you know, how are you gonna know? How are you gonna know when women have miscarriages? Because most miscarriages, the vast majority of them are at home and they're in the first month or two and uh, in, in fact, there are uh, scientists who suggest that as many as half of all pregnancies or half of all fertilized eggs never implant, you know, which is, which is and just become the next menstrual period, which could arguably become a, a miscarriage as well. So how do you know? And so there was this talk about how is Mike Pence going to enforce this here in Indiana, you know, before the courts stopped the law. And there was talk about creating a registry, a statewide registry, where women would check in every month and say, okay, my period was on April 5th, so don't hassle me until May 5th, and I'll tell you if my period comes again on May 5th. And uh, out of that came this movement, Periods for Pence, where women all across the state started, uh, it started on Twitter and Facebook, and, on, and they started tweeting or Facebooking to Mike Pence saying, you know, well, my period just started. Uh, you can check me off the list for this month. And, you know, it, was, it started out as kind of a lighthearted thing. But then, you know, some people took this very seriously. The Federalist, for example, one of the, one of the publications of the hard right funded by right-wing billionaires, uh, ran an article on November 14th, 2016, at the height of periods for Pence, titled, Sending Menstrual Blood to Mike Pence is a Stupid Protest that Hurts Women. And uh, then it, it goes, it's beyond me why the left fears that a man who very obviously loves lots of sex with lots of women wants to ban the birth control and make such, quack, 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 right? Let's put some spin on this. This is unfair, and it's not right. And, and, and some woman actually sent, uh, apparently, a, a, a tampon or a pad to Mike Pence's office, and it just created, oh, my God, it's bio-waste. It's coming to us. And the conservatives were just furious. Furious, I'm telling you. But generally speaking, NPR did a whole special on it in November of 2016. And, and generally speaking, it was treated kind of lighthearted, like, you know, Pence isn't really going to do this. Come on. A funeral for a miscarriage? But it, it did make it to law. It passed the House and Senate and got signed by the governor. What's next? Now that, now that all, you know, now that the clock is turning back to 1950, When I was born, abortion was very illegal. On the other hand, any woman who had the money, and that's always the key, right? Any woman who had the money could go to a doctor and say, I'm having terrible menstrual cramps, wink, wink, and I think I need to have a DNC. I need to have my uterus opened up and scraped out, basically, or vacuumed out, and uh, just get rid of all the tissue that's in there that is causing my cramps. And the doctor would wink, wink, say, okay, fine, here's a, I'll refer you to an obstetrician. And the, the, the woman would go to the, high, you know, I, I know two women who did this, or I knew. I mean, this was 50 years ago. More than 50 years ago. It was when I was in high school. I knew two girls who did this, who got abortions when it was illegal. But now they don't. You know, and they used to teach this in medical school. Now, by and large, they don't even teach it in medical school any longer. And now the, the, this whole movement has gotten very, very serious about this. And so now, instead of having, you know, health insurance, because health insurance would pay for it back in the day, you know, a DNC, no big deal. It's a procedure. It's not that expensive. It's, you know. But that's no longer the case anymore. And so now, instead of a woman going to her doctor and saying, you know, I need a DNC because I'm having pain or bloating or whatever, 
Um, now it's going to be, I need to go to Canada or Mexico, the two countries that share a border with the United States, where abortion is fully legal in both countries. In fact, in Canada, abortion is legal at all stages of pregnancy. It's entirely between the woman and her doctor. Well, it's ultimately entirely up to the woman. And in Canada, Canadian Medicare, they have Medicare for all. Every single person in Canada has Medicare, regardless of their age. And Medicare pays for it. No questions asked. 100% paid for. Which raises an interesting question. Are the Canadians and the Mexicans going to start building walls to keep out American women? <laughs> I mean, it's like, where does, this, where does this all go? Now, again, I'm, I, I realize I'm engaging in a little bit of hyperbole here to make my point. But it wasn't hyperbole when Mike Pence wanted to track every woman in Indiana and make sure that any miscarriage was turned into a funeral. That was deadly serious. And I don't think it's hyperbole, and, and uh, I, I don't think anybody has called specifically about this. But, you know, when I came in this morning, we were, we were talking about this, and, and Nate said, uh, you know, this, this is, you know, because Sean and I were talking about, you know, they're going to overturn Oberfeld, a, 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 a the, the gay marriage law, or the gay marriage Supreme Court ruling. And, uh, you know, and, and birth control might be next. And, and Nate's comment was, uh, hey, what about Lawrence v. Texas? I mean, their, their comment, Nate's comment was, you know, that, that, crim that decriminalized gay men having sex. Is that next? Well, of course that's next. That was another example of the Supreme Court essentially making law which is, according to the Constitution, the job of Congress. And that's the rationale of this decision that, written by Sam Alito. I mean, some of these guys are so extreme. For example, Neil Gorsuch believes, whose mother you know, ran the Environmental Protection Agency under, Rich, under uh, Ronald Reagan and ran it into the ground so badly after, after three years on the job, she had to resign in disgrace. Ann Gorsuch was a disaster for this country. And I don't think very many people disagree with me on that. And so her son, who is now in the Supreme Court, is saying, you know, the EPA is regulating arsenic. In the regulation that's, that said that the EPA could regulate toxic substances, they did not specify arsenic. So the EPA cannot regulate arsenic. The EPA is regulating uh, carbon dioxide. The EPA is trying to, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's basically saying that unless Congress specifically tells a regulatory agency exactly what they may and may not regulate, it can't be regulated, which would end basically all, all the functions of the Environmental Protection Agency, the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, it would kill them all. Which is, of course, the, you know, the late David Koch's wet dream. I mean, this is, this is what he wanted. He campaigned for president in 1980, running for president on ending all the regulatory agencies because, because the, you know, the, the, the Constitution doesn't give him that kind of power. We want a libertarian country. I'm telling you, this is not the end. This is the beginning. There's a lot of Sturm and Drang right now in the, in the media, and appropriately so, about this is the end of abortion rights in the United States. But I'm telling you, this is also going to be very shortly, the, uh, particularly if you end up with Republicans controlling the House of Representatives, Republicans controlling the Senate, and in 2024, a Republican controlling the White House. We will be doing 
what Vladimir Putin did in Russia and what Viktor Orban did in Hungary. Everything's going to be on the table. Gay rights will be on the table. LGBTQ rights, excuse me. Gay marriage will be on the table. Birth control will be on the table. Interracial marriage will be on the table. These are all decisions that were made by the Supreme Court in the absence of federal leg legislation. And that's the MacGuffin, that's the hook, that's the, the, the fulcrum, the pivot point on which Alito's decision teeter-totters, on which it stands, is that it's not in the Constitution, and it was not made into a law, and therefore we're going to leave it up to the states. It's an unenumerated right. The Tenth Amendment says the states are responsible for those things. And of course, none of that considers the fact that now you've got Republicans talking about, well, let's pass federal laws to ban abortion everywhere, including California. Michelle in Denver. Hey, Michelle, what's on your mind? Yeah, um, I was molested at the age of 12. So what you're literally saying is these children will have to carry a child to term at a young age. That's correct. And for a 12-year-old to give birth is to place her life in danger, seriously. Right, and to be responsible for it. It messed me up for decades. Yeah. And to do this to children who don't deserve it. It messed me up for decades. And you want to compound that with forcing them to have a child. Yep. And you're okay with this. This is, this is the Republican position. It's official. Donald Trump is proud of it, as are all these other Republicans. They're bragging about it. Josh Hawley this morning was issuing press releases about this is absolutely wonderful. Um, they're all bent out of shape that a news release, you know, the Politico uh, publicized this, but they're bent out of shape, I think, because they just wanted it to be a fiat accompli. But yeah, Michelle, absolutely. And to do this is absolutely appalling. And it's was on the rise. It was coming. And I've said over and over again, democracy is not free. You have to continually fight for it. Yep. Yep. I'm you have to pay attention. And now we're here and people are up in arms when they could have just given the Democrats the, the Senate. Yep. They could have given Obama full power. But they didn't. And to blame Obama, who was pinned as either an angry black man and was told he wasn't going to be able to get anything done for the American people because of obstruction is wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. you this, should have, we should have helped him. Yeah. And this is this is. But but at the, at the end of the day, this is not about Obama. This the, and 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 frankly, you know, I, I am very upset that, you know, Manchin and Cinema weren't willing to set aside the filibuster for voting rights and, and for Build Back Better. This may be the thing that will push them. I don't know. We'll see. But the, the politics here are going to get very, very interesting. It's also going to have a huge impact, I believe, on the 2022 and 2024 elections. And it's going to be real interesting to see if Republicans, given that 56% of Republicans and 78% of Democrats believe that a woman should have the right to choose an abortion, if, if those numbers hold, and I'm guessing that those numbers are actually going to grow now that this is a reality right in front of our faces, um, if those hold, it's going to be real interesting to see if Republicans hold to this position or if they start backing away. We'll see. Michelle, thank you for the and call. And that's my point, is you want to praise the young people who still don't show up? No, uh, I, I want to encourage them to, to show to, up. To, to decide their future. Yeah, I, this, this and hopefully... And leave it up to the few who have been fighting for generations for change. Right. You thought it was going to be instant. It isn't. There you go. So understand your future is at jeopardy. Yep, amen. Your future literally is in jeopardy right now. Amen. So amen. you better get going with registering all your friends and not make it about a popular social hour. Because we've got to get these Republicans out. The rule of law is totally in jeopardy now. Yeah. And be as corrupt as they want to be on top of doing what they're doing now. Yeah. Amen. Michelle, thank you. Uh, very well said. And thank you for sharing what I'm sure was a very difficult story with our audience.
Linda in Chicago. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, my daughter was in her own home. She was hit on the head with a hammer. She was strangled. She was raped. The attacker decided to burn their house down. He beat her up. She got the strength to get outside. She ran to a neighbor, partially clothed, and they took her to the hospital in the ambulance. She told everybody who her attacker was. And when she made it to the hospital, she told everybody who it was because she wanted justice for what was done. They put her in a coma, and she was in a coma for a few days. And when she got out of her coma, the first thing she wanted to know was because she had gone off the birth control, and her and her partner wanted to have a child. She wanted to know if she was pregnant. And being a Catholic hospital, I had pleaded that they give her a morning after pill. They wouldn't do that. And what happened was that when she came out of the coma, she went nuts. She was so afraid that she was pregnant by this maniac that attacked her, who was her future brother-in-law. Whoa. That's nuts. Well, is the end of the story that she turned out not to be pregnant? Right. Yeah, okay. She well, that's that's really But as a mother, as a mother, I would have done anything. Yeah. I would have smuggled in a pill. But because it was a Catholic hospital, they would not let her, you know, just to make sure, yeah. you know, that she wasn't going to have a child. But if she would have been pregnant, if people could have just seen how crazy that after all the turmoil and everything that she went through, she did not. She wanted to just get this thing out of her body. Right. You know, people don't realize that rape is terrible and you're going to have more people trying to commit suicide if they don't, you know, especially in rape, if they don't let them have an abortion. Oh, you had a state legislator in Ohio just last week who said, you know, rape is a great opportunity. You can bring a child into the world. You know, it's great news for rapists all over the country, I'll tell you that. Linda, thank you for yeah. sharing this story with me. You thank want, you. Okay, thank you very much. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Robin Marty. It's titled Handbook for a Post-Row, as in Roe v. Wade, for a Post-Row America. And the cut line on the front says, the future without Roe is coming straight at us. This is the roadmap you need for the tough times ahead. This is from Chapter 7, page 101, titled Knowing Your Comfort Zone, Why Civil Disobedience. Access to abortion and birth control isn't just a health care issue and an economic issue, it's also a civil rights issue. And like every civil rights battle, gains are made through acts of civil disobedience or working outside the legal framework. Married people officially gained the right to access birth control only after Estelle Griswold, the executive director of the Planned Parenthood League of Connecticut, opened a clinic and began offering contraception in direct opposition to the 1960s state law forbidding it. That right was extended to single people in 1972 after Bill Baird was arrested in 1967 for purposely flaunting the Massachusetts law and publicly providing contraceptives to an unmarried woman during a college lecture. The Clergy Consultation Service on Abortion spent much of the 1960s and early 70s prior to the Roe decision assisting pregnant people in finding safe abortions either from legal or illegal providers throughout the country and across the borders. And there were groups like Jane's Collective that provided the service themselves, even at the risk of their own arrest. Today, people are highlighting a number of issues through acts of civil disobedience. North Carolina had weekly mass arrests at their state capitol during Moral Mondays protests, while the Black Lives Matter movement physically closed highways with their bodies. And of course, when Brett Kavanaugh was appointed to the Supreme Court, hundreds of activists were arrested, some multiple times, for interrupting his hearings, protesting in the Hart Building, when it became clear the Senate Judiciary was not going to investigate claims of past sexual assault. Some protesters even blocked the stairs prior to Kavanaugh's swearing-in ceremony. As our society recedes further into racism, sexism, xenophobia, and classism, opposing the power structure through nonviolent means grows more imperative. 
Aaron Matson, the co-founder of the reproductive rights group Repro Action and Teen Vogue, wrote, If Roe is overturned or gutted, it is certain that some states will propose and enact some abortion bans, new abortion bans. Again, nonviolent civil disobedience should remain on the table, this time targeting state and municipal level lawmakers. We must remember that while in several contexts abortion rights supporters lack immediate political power, in spite of the fact that nearly 7 in 10 Americans do not want to see Roe overturned, we always retain the power of using our bodies to stop or slow the machinery of state repression. End of quote. Matson adds, ultimately, it's up to activists to decide. Are we willing to break convention if lobbying fails? Are we willing to strategically expose ourselves to the risks of arrest? And if we are not, are we willing to look into the eyes of the future generations who will be incarcerated for abortions, miscarriages, and pregnancy complications? End of quote. ReproAction is a growing network of state-based activists that conducts political events, teach-ins, and other direct actions to increase access to abortion and birth control services. They currently have national campaigns as well as individual campaigns in D.C., Virginia, Missouri, Arkansas, and Wisconsin. You can join up with or financially support ReproAction to increase their national and local reach. Subchapter title, Is Civil Disobedience Right for Me? What are you willing to do to make sure that you, the people you know, or even total strangers, have access to contraception and abortion care, especially once more abortion options become illegal? Are you willing to be arrested if you participate in direct action or nonviolent protest? Is helping someone obtain abortion pills worth a potential prison sentence? Would you drive a teen to another state to get an abortion if that drive makes you an abortion facilitator and thus a federal criminal? You may believe you're willing to risk everything to help someone get an abortion, and that may well be what is needed in some cases in a post-Roe America. But make sure that you've really thought out all the consequences of such a radical approach. These are the questions you should be asking yourself now before new laws are put into place. One small silver lining of the Trump era is the way it has energized so many people to actively resist the political agenda. There are more activists, donors, candidates, and protesters than there have been in decades. And that means lots of people who can work together and step in when and where people are needed. But in certain geographic areas, it is and will continue to be harder to find those with the ability and privilege to do resistance work. For example, with the Trump administration's increasing militarization of ICE and border security, checkpoints into and out of America will be more scrutinized than ever before. With a population that in many cases is literally trapped in places like the Rio Grande Valley or Las Cruces, where undocumented people can neither leave the country for services nor go further into the U.S. for care, the need for additional action and people who have the willingness and ability to act may be greater than in New York City or the Bay Area. Maybe you have a very specific skill set. You might be medically trained, have a legal background, or maybe you've done counseling or social work, or you're a member of the clergy. These are people who will add a lot of value to the movement, especially if it turns out civil disobedience is the right way to proceed. Ask yourself if you're the only person who can do the thing you're considering doing, or if there's a number of people like you who are planning to step up. Then ask yourself what sort of risk you may be running and how those factors balance out. It's almost impossible to be a solitary activist these days, but there are spaces where you can manage. Letter writing campaigns, social media campaigns, information distribution, and fundraising can all be accomplished in a fairly solitary environment. Handbook for a post-Roe America. And uh, welcome back. Let's see here. Steve in Whitehall, Pennsylvania. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, Tom. I'm new to your show, and I want to let you know I appreciate it, and it, it, it's, it's really great and informative. Also, it's, it's bothering me. It seems that the uh, Republicans are in control right now. I mean, we, you know, we have the House, we have the Senate, we have the White House. It just it seems like the Republicans are getting more done than the Democrats. And well, I understand the Republicans the aren't getting anything done, but the, the, the judges certainly are, yeah. Right, which were appointed by, of course, you know, yes. how that went down also, you know. Okay. And the other thing with, 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 with the abortion, I mean, they, they won't let us have $250 child tax credit per month, which is really peanuts if you think about it, but it lifted 5 million, you know, kids out of poverty. Yes. So now if this abortion, you know, if, if, if Roe gets struck down, you're going to have more kids in poverty, yep. and they can't even give a $250 child tax credit. How are these kids going to be taken care of? That is because they are zygote and fetus worshipers, not child worshipers. Once that child is born, 
I, and there are some progressive folks who are in favor of restrictions on abortion, and I, I, I acknowledge them and I respect them. But by and large, the Republicans are, you know, once you're born, you're on your own. That's it. You know, they, they're, they're working to end food stamps. They're working to end Medicaid. They're working to end, they, they have already succeeded in ending the child tax credit. They just don't give a damn about children. No, they don't. Or, or, or the working class people, you know, and yeah. the families that are trying to make it don't have enough money to actually, you know, support a family. Oh, and we're going to make them have extra. Steve, <laughs> I got to run. It's the end of the show. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, they are there of, by, and for the, the rich folks. That's the bottom line for Republicans and their party. Steve, thank you. And thank you for being with us today. A big, consequential day in the history of the United States. We'll see what more we learn over the next 24 hours. And we'll rendezvous here tomorrow, same time, same place to continue the conversation along with you know, whatever other news has popped up in the meantime. So in the meantime, get out there, get active. Now, if there was ever a time to get politically active, this is it. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. Stay safe. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 